Welcome to Nerds Their Own Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we are continuing Spielberg Month with one of my picks. And um, this was actually directed by Spielberg. Mm -hmm. So, uh, (laughs) not just a story by. (laughs) Yeah. Producing. Yeah. Sneaky Steven. <laughs> but we uh this I think this is the most recent one of the ones we've done. Uh we're doing Ready Pl- not Ready Player One. <laughs> that is the most recent one. Uh, we're doing Minority Report. Um the, of the, of the Spielberg can this is in the more recent category. I guess I'm not coming back from that. Um I didn't update my doc. I just copied and pasted it. It still says Ready Player One at the top. That's my bad. Um <laughs> But anyway, this is a. I think this was the this was a first time I saw Colin Farrell in anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. Got a lot going for it. You know, it's a Philip K. Dick story. Uh, uh-huh. Tom Cruise, Spielberg. Uh, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, you have quite a bit going on here, like you had mentioned before. Philip K. Dick story, Steven Spielberg directing, Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, Max von Sydow starring. I mean, just imagine the egos on that set. <laughs> Um, Scott and, and Frank did, and did plug in Neil McDonough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. But the Scott Frank and John Cohen uh, are, you know, had adapted this story to screenplay. Scott Frank, most notably, uh, Logan uh, writer. So uh, Logan Makes the Wolverine, uh, Get Shorty, John Cohen. Uh, all I could find him doing was this movie. So either he uh, had his feel or just just was you know, done. But uh, yeah, so look forward to to delving into this uh, Philip K. Dick vision of the future. But let's look at our past, guys. Tell our fans a little some stuff we've been getting into here lately as we keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. Okay, I'm first out of the gate. Let me start my timer. And this week, I'm going to be uh, showcasing The Tomorrow War. Um, and it's the uh, Chris Pratt starring action sci-fi movie that I think Paramount had. And um, they felt the squeeze during, during the shutdown. It sold it to Amazon. So anybody who's got Amazon Prime can just go watch The Tomorrow War. Um, it's got an interesting sci-fi premise. Um, the, the time travel thing. I mean, if you've seen the trailer before, you know there's time travel involved. Not a massive spoiler there. It's pretty clever. Um, and it makes for a very, like, the, visually, it's very interesting the way the time travel works. Um, I think the alien design is really cool. A um, little bit of nightmare fuel. Um, it's not as smart a movie as it thinks it is. But, man, it's a good time. It's, cl- it's more clever than it is smart. But it's very entertaining. The action scenes are really exciting. And look, man, you get... You get cool, swole, old man J.K. Simmons in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's, I felt inspiration watching him walk around in this movie. I, wanna, I aspire to be that version of an old man. Um, so just, so just, just seeing, uh, I don't know if this is a correct term anymore, if this is okay to say, but uh, I heard it described as a prison bod. You know, yeah. J.K. Simmons <laughs> it's It's worth just watching to see J.K. Simmons in this movie. But Tomorrow Wars by keeping it 100. 
Tomorrow War. Uh, that's a bit on my uh, list, but have not uh, had a chance to delve into with uh, some of the stuff going on. Yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, I really liked, and I won't do a whole lot, you know, because Dwayne, Dwayne hasn't seen it yet, but the the way that, like, that last part of the movie played, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, because it felt like you had an ending, and then it kind of went on beyond what I think most movies would. Yeah, uh, it, it, and I thought it was kind of cool. It's a return of the king action. There's a couple endings. Yeah, a couple endings. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's probably about twenty minutes too long, but it's such a it's such a fun ride through the yeah. the entirety of the movie that I wasn't even super mad about it. Oh. Well, I'll have to move that up on the list of things to enjoy. Uh, speaking of things to enjoy, I went down a rabbit hole of 80s nostalgia this week. Now, Peacock is streaming Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, not sure how family-friendly the, the 1982 Conan the Barbarian is. Very much uh, in lines of Sword and the Sorcerer, Beastmaster, some of those other early things. A lot of scantily clad ladies uh, doing scantily clad lady things uh, with barbarians and uh, sorcerers. Uh, Conan the Destroyer is so different. It's such a cartoon. But just to see, you know, you're talking about Swole J.K. Simmons, but just to see how huge Arnold was, especially in in the barbarian. I mean, he is just a massive muscle. Um, And actually kind of set up the Conan mythology pretty well, I thought. And then they went and, and made a cartoon with Grace Jones and Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, but those were a little bit of fun that I had this week. And just, you know, it's streaming them for free if you're subscribed to Peacock. So check it out. There, there was a ton of fun. Hey, and Arnold can still swing that sword, man. He posted a video not just a few weeks ago. That's, him twirling that's that one thing. of the, yeah, that's one of the things that kind of got me more <laughs> picked in it. Uh, you know, when I seen it, I probably would have just scrolled on by had I not seen, you know, the side by side comparison of, you know, mm-hmm. today Arnold with, you know, 82 Arnold swinging that sword around. I was like, you know, this, you know, this guy had some had some serious, you know, and still has some serious, you know, muscle and you know, physique talent. Yeah. All right. So it's really funny when it went that way, because somewhat. There is a tangential connection to mine. So I'm going to go ahead and start my timer. So as of this recording, Netflix has debuted the first five episodes of Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe Revelation. But to get ready for this revival, they have also have a documentary titled The Power of Grayskull, The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. This was an awesome trip down memory lane. From It goes from the development of the Mattel toy line, which actually was going to be a movie licensing project for the Schwarzenegger Codan. For Codan. Uh-huh. Um, and after they saw that, you know, some of the nudity and things that was going to be in Codan, Mattel was like, no, we can't do that. Uh, so they end up taking the concept and get to He-Man. So we get into the Flasher animateds, even the Dolph Lundgren, Frank Langella movie. All of it's here. Um, it definitely brought back, you know, some of those great memories while also pulling back the curtain. Um, one of those cornerstones of my childhood. 
Uh, Power of Grayskull is just, it's a great way. It got me really excited for this next generation of attorney as champions and villains. And that's why the Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, not a very concise title, is this week's Keeping It 100. <laughs> I will second that documentary. I have seen it. Uh, it's very interesting. And I had just noticed about an hour before we start recording that, uh, you know, the, the new He-Man has dropped on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't had a chance to check that out yet, but I, I have seen the documentary. Yeah. Very, very recommended, especially if you're into the old toy nostalgia. Yep. And yeah, that was, it was going to be a Conan toy line. And they were like, I didn't hey, know that. Can't, can't do that. Yep. <laughs> Because they do scantily clad lady things, right, Dwayne? Right, yeah. Ladies doing scantily clad. Can't be doing that. You know, what was really cool is they eventually did take that original concept, that barbarian concept, and turn that into an action figure in one of the, like the lines, not the most recent line, but one of those, uh, they took that character uh, and kind of brought him back. So it was kind of cool to see that, I thought. Okay, I know we need to move on. Quick poll. Best animated barbarian. Who you got? Is it He-Man? Thundar. Uh, Thundar's who I'm thinking. But I really like the dad and the Herculoids, too. Yeah, yeah. Thundar's cool, because all that was Kirby. So I could d- definitely dig in that. Yeah. But uh, He-Man probably had the most impact on me. So yeah. yeah, He-Man probably had the most pop culture impact, but Thundar was definitely cool. I love Thundar, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then before we move on, if you just see the guys discussing like how they decided on the names for the He-Man characters. Oh yeah. It's I mean it's <laughs> it's exactly what you think it is. It's just a bunch of dudes going, oh, we got a guy who looks like a beast. What should we call him? Beast man. Okay. <laughs> well here here's the okay, here's the here's the exactly clincher for that. Thundar though. Here's the clincher for Thundar. He's got a lightsaber. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's true. I mean he gets to be a barbarian and have a lightsaber. I mean, top that. And he had a Wookiee as a best friend, so. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yep. Well, guys, let's get into our opening thoughts and grades of Minority Report. Let's go from the barbarians into the future. The precogs uh, are talking about, you know, free crime. You know, judging people before the crime is committed, preventing murder, saving lives. How cool is this concept? How wild does that take? You know, free will, predestination, all that stuff I'm going to talk about later. And I'm sure a lot of us will. But guys, this movie is filmed beautifully. I love the washout of how it. You know, it almost looks like a vision of itself. You know, you have, uh, I was almost expecting J.J. Abrams to be like the cinematographer, director of photography or something with all of the light flares and, and, and the halos around things. But uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give this movie, I'm not going to talk about it very much more. I'm going to go ahead and give this movie. It's great, but there's some holes that I can't get past. Uh, I'm going to A minus. Okay. You know, so here's the funny thing. Have you guys realized that three of the four movies we've done have been adaptations of books or short stories? Minority Report, Ready Player One, and Jaws. 
We're all adapted from prose fiction. Um, and I thought that was kind of neat that, that we were drawn to those stories. I know we're all avid readers and things to that effect. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, this was actually the first time for me watching this movie. Um, somewhere in the shuffle of Tom Cruise mania, I missed this one. Um, but I was excited to check it out because I knew it was a PKD st- short story. So I was looking, you know, looking forward to kind of checking it out, see how they did. And there's definitely some choices made from uh, the original source material to this movie. Uh, it wouldn't work with Tom Cruise as the lead. So, I mean, I understand mm-hmm. them making a few changes. I get it. I get it. And like I said, I've learned to separate two those two creative endeavors pretty well. Um, we'll get into the minutia of it as we get through our fans and pans and awards. But I did enjoy the movie. So I went just a little lower than Dwayne, and I went B+. Plus. Okay. Um, I'm probably practicing a little grade inflation, because this is my pick. Um, but if you remember back to the Mount Rushmore episode, um, I, I did I had some self-awareness come up because I, <laughs> so I realized what I'd picked for my Mount Rushmore, what the runners-up were. Um, I'm just a sucker for smart action movies. And this is a smart action movie. So, like, this is a fastball right over the plate. Um, it's it's a Spielberg movie. It's a PKD, PKD adaptation. It's got Tom Cruise in it. And I know Tom Cruise is a weird guy, but he's a great actor. And he's like an old school, you know, movie star. Uh, and, you know, in the way that we struggle to make movie stars. So I was an easy mark for this movie. It does have flaws that we'll probably point out in the pan section. Um, this is an A-plus movie for me. It's just incredibly entertaining. It's thought-provoking. It's got some thematic depth to it. And it's just beautiful to look at. Yeah. Right. It's it's a gorgeous movie. It's it, it's very smart to come. The conceit uh, is is very well laid out. You know, in, in this futuristic world, they they did a great job developing it. <clears throat> One thing that was smart that I didn't realize until doing a little bit of research: your your precogs, the three precogs, are named for three mystery writers: Dashiell Hammett, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and Agatha Christie. So as we go into our fan section about this movie, guys, it's Agatha all the time. Well, I guess Agatha all along. Okay, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Before, before we get into this, though, so Dashiell, why wasn't his name Philip? Philip K. Dick wrote the yeah. story. Why go Dashiell Hammett instead of Philip Dashiell. K. Dick? Instead of Philip, yeah. If you're going to honor a writer, you know, it's honor, the, yeah. honor the writer of this. And I, you know. and I know he's not I famous for writing Agatha mysteries as Dashiell Hammett. Yeah. He was more of a sci-fi writer, but still. Right. Yeah. You know. Well, they did adapt mm-hmm. it from Jerry, so <laughs> in the and story, Donna. yeah, yeah, Jerry and Donna and <laughs> Mike. Is Mike the third one? May- I remember. Maybe I think. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not 
completed the the story listening to it, but uh, I've I've gotten a little bit into it. And it's it's choices were made. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean well, to derail us again. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and lead in with my fan guys, and a lot of this, I think, some of it, I think Dwayne mentioned. I love the look of these environments. Uh, you know, in classic PKD style, you know, you get this stark juxtaposition of scenery. We get this quasi coruscant feel with this sleek city and it's more seedy underbelly, right? We get that. But then we get the idyllic countryside home. So, I mean, all three of these are very stark differences in terms of look and feel. And that, to me, affects the tone of the movie. And I thought that was really cool because it affects the motivations, the characterizations, everything. Um, You know, even those large billboards in the city constantly flashing so made me think about Blade Runner and, you know, tying in other PKD types of stories. I thought that was really good, cool. Um, I just think that the look of this world definitely added to the feel of the movie. And that was really my biggest fan with it. It just jumped out of me immediately. Uh, mine is very similar. Um, Sammy may have seen a little bit of my thunder here, but uh, my fan is the adaptation. Um I haven't read everything Philip K. Dick, but everything Philip K. Dick I've read, I've loved. Um, and I love, I love the adaptation here because they're, I mean, they're different mediums, right? And it's not just that the, that it was a story; it was a short story, which is very different than a novel. The things you can do, the twist endings, it's a, it's a very different dynamic, even from short story to novel. So, but they took this amazing premise and they retained the premise, right? The whole pre-crime thing, which just has built into it. All those th- thematic stuff, like free will, the predestination, um, all, all that kind of stuff. And they really drilled down on what made it interesting in the short story. So they kept all the things that really worked. They tinkered with it a little bit, but they kept it all there. But everything that didn't work, they just memory hold it. I mean, <laughs> it's gone. Like the whole <laughs> army angle, the political intrigue stuff, they switched all that out and pulled mm-hmm. in the family story with Sean. And the family mm. dynamic, the family struggle, the the depression, the drug abuse, all that stuff. And I feel like that worked so much better for a movie than than what was in the short story. Because it, it kind of just like they like pull that one piece, put in the other, and go. And I feel like the for the for the short story, it worked perfectly. And it was fine. I mean, it feels very nineteen fifties, but it works. This works for the movie. The changes no, and and the ending is very different, but once again, it's, they suit the medium. They didn't just try to take what worked in the in the short story, and because that what was in the what was in the short story has to be what's in the movie. Like it, they changed the ending, and I feel like the ending in the book. Were, I mean, in the short story works great for the short story, but it wouldn't yeah. have worked for the movie. It wouldn't have worked at all for the movie. And I think that the movie ending was great for the movie and wouldn't have worked in the short story at all. It would have been a very unsatisfying ending for the short story. So I just think that the the adaptation process they did. To take that story and make it into this movie is just genius adaptation work. Well, yeah. and I think a um, lot of that comes from Anderton making the changes in Anderton as the lead character. And Whitworth. Yeah. yeah. That changes a lot of the motivations. The short story would you know, with Tom Cruise would not been as believable, you know. As opposed to, you know, the character Anderton is in the short story wouldn't work here in the movie. 
Yeah. So they had to change based upon that lead, I think. Yeah. And, you know, you have a 1956 story. You have the whole Cold War, the militaristic state. You know, the 1984, the Big Brother <laughs> type future that we still get here. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree completely with that. <clears throat> My thing is very, very ties, ties in with both of those. I'm going to take a quote from another movie, from another character, Gandalf in uh, Fellowship of the Ring. It's questions. Questions that need answers. You know, is what this lays out to me. Much like Dune, The Matrix, Empire Strikes Back, we have questions of free will, predestination, destiny, the future in motion. What is going to happen? You know, would you have, you know, broke the vase if I hadn't mentioned you breaking the vase? Uh, all of that kind of mind gamey stuff. I love the exploration and the discussion of that, you know, the precogs, they're predicting things that are happening. Although, you know, even the opening scene, you see the doubt of the guy. Is he really going to kill his wife and her lover? You see his doubt, you see his struggle, and then you see Tom Cruise. I have no idea who this guy is. How is this going to go? And then he goes on a mission to search for the guy. You know, it's so interesting how, if you don't know about it, you know, would this future still happen? Uh, you know, that whole situation there is brilliant to me. And I love, that's my most favorite thing about the story. And, and I love the way they play it in both the short story and the movie. Like once you have knowledge of the future, how does that change your freedom? How does that change? How, exactly. How does, how, yeah, I just it's an extra little wrinkle that just I love it. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, the whole yeah, that's so brilliant, so brilliant. Um, you know, there's some great, great characters, some great situations that they put themselves in. One thing I know we don't want to do though, we definitely don't want to eat out of that refrigerator after the eye surgery. So let's not go to that kitchen. But let's get some pans and discuss some things we weren't quite a fan of in this movie. Okay, I'm uh, first out of the gate, and that refrigerator could be my pan uh, in and of itself. I wanted to throw up too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad. Um, like like the Tomorrow War. Um, it's. It might be the almost the only way it's like the Tomorrow War. Um, it's a little on the long side. Um, it's probably needs to lose about 15, 20 minutes. Um, it just it overstays its welcome just a fuss. Um, that's about all I've got. It needed to be tightened up a little bit. That's all. Really, honestly, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that. Uh, my my pen is. Is I, I kind of spoke about it earlier, but there's some holes in the writing and the adaptation here that, that really are just left hanging, that that don't quite make a lot of sense, that I don't really understand how they got around. For example, you think of Tom Cruise, you know, and the ball that no one cares about. You know, it's it's almost seemed like any other time that the precogs had a vision, the whole place went to red alert. Oh, we've got to do this, we've got to start finding these people. Well, they start having a vision. You know, he phones up the, the, the doctor. He phones up the judge. You know, the guy's sitting there thinking about, you know, Jed. He's thinking about cake downstairs or whatever. Nobody else is really doing anything. And then his name comes down the ball. 
his face is on the video. The, the doctors, or the, the, the female doctor, she's like, I don't understand what I'm seeing here. He just turns her off. Could she not have called back him and like, listen, I just seen him murder somebody. <laughs> you know, what's up with this? Well, that's, that's a huge hole there. Um, you know, and then we have, um, you know, Agatha, who has essentially been in a comatose state for six years from early, early adolescence, possibly, you know, knowing what the minority report is that no one ever really discusses. We have, you know, she's awful spry for a comatose lady, you know, who's been laying around for a while, you know, running through and, you know, dodging and, and having all the adventure. You know, there's just, just some holes like that that, that, that kind of get me uh, when I watch it. But, you know, other than that, you know, those are really, you know, kind of picking nits, but it's, it's still a great movie. But yeah, th- those those holes are what brought it from an A plus to an A minus for me. We know as you were saying that, Dwayne, I-, I was thinking may- maybe she took the same thing Grandpa Joe did. <laughs> <laughs> she she got a golden ticket. Yeah, <laughs> got a golden yeah. ticket out of that bag. Oh, that's all moving around like Grandpa Joe. <laughs> <laughs> if right. only if only she would have raised her hand. I've got a golden ticket. <laughs> Okay, as far as a, a pan, um, you know, I, I think the easy thing to do is maybe talk a, a little bit about changes from the story to the movie. But like we said, I think those those work for both of the specific mediums. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really glad they kept calling him Chief Anderton because I kept wanting to go, Mr. Anderton. <laughs> um, every time they would true, say Anderton, true. that's where my brain wanted to go. Um but my probably the biggest nitpick, and I'm on the same boat as, as Jamie, it just felt a little long. Um, a few spots kind of dragged just a little bit. Um, maybe a little bit more editing. We would have got a really great, fast-paced SF action movie uh, with just a little little touch of trim here and there. Yeah, I mean, there's just, I mean, I could just a little bit of tightening of the bolts. I mean, yeah. no, no, I don't think they need to be completely cut out of the movie. There's no plot line that needs to disappear. There were no like big action scenes or dramatic moments need to go away. Just some tightening of the bolts. Yeah. Yeah. They probably could have spent a little bit less time in the Lexus factory, but yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> there's, I, there's not a lot of, <laughs> yeah, that, that could have used some treatment. Um, but, uh, like, I don't think this is like Spielberg Mount Rushmore, but it's in, in my book, it's, it's in the territory. It's, a, this yeah. is a really good movie. It's why, that's why I think the pans are so, you know, there's nothing glaring. No, no flashing neon lights. This movie's a problem, you know? All right. Want to give us more words? Let's give us some awards. Let's do it. So here we go. All right. Well, I'm leading off with best performance. Um, <clears throat> I really had a hard time with some of these characters. There are so many great performances in this movie. I mean, you have some great actors. You have Max Von Sydow. You have Colin Farrell. You know, um, Tom Cruise. But I really thought a, a young lady that stole the show was was a Samantha Morton, Agatha. You know, uh, being pulled from you know quote unquote the bath 
you know, and, and brought into the world, you know, and just her confusion, her, you know, psychological eccentricities there that they that they got into, her kind of guiding him through the mall and through the uh, different situations that you're in, you know, in, the, in like little mind uh, implant uh, booths. And then, you know, when she screams, run, you know, it's sheer terror. And you, I mean, it just sends chills up your spine. Uh, she really stole the scenes that she was in, you know, and, and you know, when, when you're alongside, you know, Von Sydow, Tom Cruise, Colin Ferguson, when you're, in that, when you're in that company, to be able to steal the scene is truly saying something. Hmm. I like it. Um, you know, this is kind of interesting for me because I'm going to give this award to Tom Cruise. All right. You know, like I said, I, I've seen the rise of Tom Cruise, you know, I, I'm of that age that, you know, I watched Risky, Risky Business and and Top Gun and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is the type of movie I think works best for him. You know, the action star. Think about Major Cage from Edge of Tomorrow. You know, I liked him in that. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Anderton and Minority Report it kind of plays in that same role. Um, you know, and, and face it, guys, I'm always rooting for a short guy to be an action star. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> After the scene where he's dragging Agatha through the mall, I Googled how tall they both were. <laughs> probably not as, as drastic as they uh, portray. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I waited to go last because I think there are three right answers. And I'm just going to pick the third right answer because you both got the other two right answers. <laughs> Max von Sydow is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't mm-hmm. have the screen time of Samantha Morton or Tom Cruise. Um, but man, whenever he's on screen, he's owning everything he's doing. Every interaction yeah. with Colin Farrell, the final confrontation, the everything. I mean, he is just so good in this movie. And you, wh- whatever he's doing at that moment, you absolutely believe. You believe he's Anderton's friend. Mm-hmm. Then at the end, he convinces you that he is this conniving bad guy who's capable of that murder and this kind of intrigue to get his friend to go down. I mean, you, I mean, completely convincing in everything he's doing. But like yeah, I said, the three right answers. And I, and I love that somebody picked Tom Cruise because he's, he's gotten, he's known now as the old guy who does all of his own stunts. And he's he's an actor. The dude can really, really act. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't get credit for that anymore. And there was couch jumping and a lot of weird Scientology nonsense. That, <laughs> there's a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff with Tom Cruise. But the man's talented. He's a really yeah. good actor. And that's I think it's gotten lost a little bit. There was yeah, the he's weird, kind of gotten in his own way. Yeah. yeah. yeah there was the weird Kubrick eyes wide shut move, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, you had some 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 interesting choices. Um, but like I said, I think he works well as an action star. Um, you know, I think because I hadn't seen this one, I didn't really know. A, you couldn't pick Max von Sydow out. And we know that he did show up in Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah in our, our sequel trilogy. So at least for, for a few scenes. Yes. He was planetologist kinds. I know he didn't have the steel suit on, so it's hard to recognize him. But that's who he was. <laughs> yeah but no just i mean von sidel definitely deserves a lot of recognition there because he he really is the the conniving mind of this movie mm-hmm. yeah. 
I, I mean, I almost went with the acting performances for my my fan. I mean, every, even Colin Farrell. This was like his first really big movie. He's really good here. Really good, yeah. except for except for the gum. I, I the gum was a problem, <laughs> but <laughs> choices were made. Choices were made. I don't know why choices were made. Well, Sam, why don't you tell us the right choice for best scene? Well, based on what you've already said, this is not going to be the right choice. I love the chase and the fight at the auto manufacturing plant. <laughs> I loved it. Not only do we see Danny Whitwer is not just a government bureaucrat. He can hold mm-hmm. his own in a fist fight. But we get that last moment of the sequence where you have to laugh just a little bit. Anderton pops that head up and that smug Tom Cruise look (laughs) as he's driving that flashy futuristic sports car and literally drives off the lot. Uh, (laughs) I just thought that was such a fun scene. Um, and, And you had it punctuated with all the chase before. Um, you know, the, the fist fight angle. And, and then, like I said, to see Cruz kind of pop up in the car and be like, see ya. And just like take off. I just, I loved it. I, I just got it. Got a big kick out of that. You're not wrong. It's just another one of those, like just tighten the screws just a little bit. Like <laughs> if they, they, they linger in that factory for just maybe a minute too long is all right. Yeah. yeah. It's a great scene. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. It's an awesome scene. <laughs> Um, mine is the, uh, a, a more, maybe not a quiet scene, but, a uh, it's the confrontation with Leo Crow. It's just, <sighs> it's the dramatic, sort of the dramatic peak of the movie. And, and man, Tom Cruise, once again, like the acting chops, I mean, it's, I, I, I can't imagine it being acted better than he did that. I, I don't know if there's an actor who could have done better than he did in that scene. He completely sells the pain the trauma, the torment that he's went through and, and the moment when he's going to shoot Leo Crow and stops and start reading him his Miranda rights. I mean, just it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And then the way Leo Crow on the other end is like, but you have to do it, you know, just, and, and then his angle and then the whole scene shifts and it's just this complete different dynamic for the rest of that scene. It's just, it's a powerful scene. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong there. Uh, I chose a, a, a scene from the opposite end of the movie, almost, uh, for mine. I chose the opening scene when you actually see them, <clears throat> what they do in pre-crime. Mm-hmm. When, when the credits come up into the pool, murder, you know, and, and the ball literally gets rolling, you know, and, and, they're, and they're having to go through. And it explains so well the situation that they're in. Uh, it tells you exactly what the precogs do. It tells you exactly Tom Cruise's character. It tells you exactly, um, you know, how they proceed with this. And then you go into the opening dialogue. Pre-crime, you know, da 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 da. You know, the division, the precogs are have eliminated a murder. You know, murder was an epidemic. You know, but without that opening scene to explain that, as only Spielberg and Cruise could really. Uh, that. That's my favorite scene because from that point on, you're like, you know where you are. They anchor you exactly where you need to be anchored in the story. What's the function of the precogs? What's the function of pre-crime? What's the function of Tom Cruise? What's Danny's function? You know, mm-hmm. throughout. That's, yeah, that's mine. 
that was my third option for a fan. Because <clears throat> by, by the time that scene is over, it's what, about 15 minutes in? Oh, yeah. It's this weird world, the weird dynamic of pre-crime, all of the stuff. I mean, by the point that that scene is over, you've got no questions left. You're just ready to run with the story. Right. It's a masterful setup. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but I but I think it it would be a shame if there's not an outtake somewhere where somebody grabs one of those balls and goes, B fourteen. It's gotta be on a blooper reel somewhere. Because every time they roll down, that's my first thought. My, my thought was, is like, this is way better for a movie than those punch cards from the short story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. They were leading oh, into the see report Chad. side real heavy. So. I just want to see Jad go, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sitting next to sit as an old man, so he had to get something you know, to him. <laughs> into the bingo hall. Have designed it. Him and, him and Dr. Hinman going to the bingo hall. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere with Dr. Hinman. No. <laughs> <laughs> She's weird. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'm up first on base character, and I'm going to go with John Anderton. And just the, the whole dynamic with what happened with Sean and the pain he's going through and the, the way he's thrown himself into both drug addiction and work as a means of coping the estrangement with his wife, um, and also the, the, relationship, the relationships he's managed to maintain at pre-crime. It's this interesting dynamic, the, the, whole, the whole package. And, and the way that by the end of the movie, he's, he's even given up his own. I mean, what, I mean, what functioned basically as not only his, like his crutch, but as his entire worldview was the, the way pre-crime was set up. And by the end, he was ready to give up on that. And it was just a, he's just a, it's just a great character, John Anderson. Yeah. You're not wrong, and you see him interacting with the videos. You see his uh, interactions with the, you know the drug dealer on the street. The you know his commitment to true crime. But you guys talked about a, a, a character in here that was a pretty early role for him, and he really held his own with these other guys. The gum chewing, you know, had a bit to be desired. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm going with best characters: Colin Farrell's Danny Boy, Danny Whitworth. Uh, you know, he he's very interesting. He, you know, has spent a few years at seminary. Now he's working, you know, for the government uh, in, 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 you know, criminal justice, essentially. And he's got this, you know, like you said, he's, he kind of comes off as, as a pencil pusher punk. But he's really, you know, a, a man of action. He can hold his own. You know, he's a punk, but he's an honest punk in this movie. Uh, and, and, you know, he, Colin Farrell really pulled that off. And, you know, and then by the end of the movie, he's not the bad guy. You, know, you really think right. he's going to be, but he's really not. Do you know who's supposed to be chewing that gum? Who's that? Matt Damon. That would have been a different movie. That, this movie was about to be made two years earlier than it got made. It had a completely different cast except for Tom Cruise. Oh, well. Ian McKellen was the guy who was going to be the Max von Sydow role. Hmm. That would have been a very different movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Very. I, I, I wouldn't say it would be bad, but it would be very different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. All right, gentlemen. So for my best character, I chose a strange role. Daniel London plays a really creepy role as Wally the caretaker. Um, 
There's definitely <laughs> some subtext going on there with Wally and his infatuation with Agatha. Um, but I found myself going, okay, what weird thing will Wally do in the next scene? Uh, so, so it kept me... <laughs> And he's brushing her teeth one time and he's it just really like made me like really be interested to go, what weird things he going to do next? Um, and I decided right away, decided right away, if they ever remake this movie, I could TD needs to play Wally. Um, he could even direct the movie. Sure. But I could so see Taika playing that kind of weird off the wall character in a movie like this. So, yeah. So Wally, the caretaker. <laughs> Where's Wally? A worse version of Where's Waldo? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, that's not a question you want to ask in pre Where's Wally? <laughs> we don't, and, and we don't need that answer. The big thing for me is there is, we talked about between the short story and the movie, how they kept the feel. That's one character that was completely different from the short story to the movie. So, well, with the exception that he had a good relationship with Anderton <laughs> and cut him, a, cut him some slack. That was the only right. thing they cared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's why that the room is completely windows to keep Wally under observation at all times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's another uh, guy I want to bring uh, a little bit of light to uh, as almost an honorable mention, uh, Tim Blake Nelson's Gideon was mm-hmm. definitely uh, along those lines creepy uh just you know the caretaker of the prisoners was was they they, they like the organ music playing his sure. music yeah sure tim you tell yourself that <laughs> and if we're throwing honorable mentions um i think neil i should have been cable mcdonough was really good in this movie yeah yeah he was yeah he was great yeah there was a lot of uh, a lot of strong performances yeah. uh, throughout throughout but best quote and um, my note here says C phone, and I took a screenshot of a, of a best quote that I was going to do on my phone. But uh, since we've had some technical difficulty and I'm using my phone for Skype, uh, I'm going to go a little bit different uh, for my best quote. Um, and it's something that struck me with this watch of the movie. And and I'd kind of mentioned it a, a moment ago with Colin Farrell's Danny. Uh, and I'm, I know I'm not going to get the quote exact, but when him and uh, Anderton's talking, and he says, you know, they've almost, you know, they're deifying these precogs. The the population is is deifying these precogs, and you know how this affects, you know, how people view destiny, free will, and all of this stuff. And he says, you know, I spent a few years in seminary, but now I do this. And he says, well, what does your dad think of that career choice? He said he'll never know. He was shot on the steps of a church in Dublin when I was fifteen, and that tells you a lot about his character, and it really impacted yeah. me. Uh, a lot uh, in that too. I just wanted to mention that. Oh, I really love that you brought up Tim Blake Nelson's Gideon because he had a great quote. It was short and to the point. Careful, Chief. Dig up the past. All you get is dirty. And I like that. That step jumped out right away. And I'm like, yeah, I like that line. So, (laughs) I've got a two uh, two way tie here, and nobody took either one of them. Um, so I'll just I'll just say that the final um, confrontation between Anderton and Lamar Burgess, when talking about what this will do to pre crime, was really good. Mm. Yes. But 
But what I have to go with, because it's so funny that I was certain Dwayne was going to pick it. It's felt like a Dwayne quote, So, I, but it has to be said. So, uh, you know, Anderton and Agatha have went to this sketchy VR place and to get some help. And the, and the guy's name is Rufus Riley. He says, are you reading my mind right now? Anderton says, get up. <laughs> Riley turns to Agatha. I'm sorry for whatever I'm going to do. And I swear I didn't do any of that stuff I did. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, he was great. I, I really liked his uh, view on on uh, reality. There, I didn't do any of that stuff. I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Jamie, it was that, a Dwayne quote. I agree, though, Jamie. Uh, that exchange between Anderton and Burgess that that was my runner up quote. Mm-hmm. Besides Gideon, there. That idea of you you see the dilemma, don't you? You know, so <laughs> Yeah, and that and that's probably one of the biggest changes from the short story. Mm-hmm. The way the way that dynamic plays out. Yep. All right, so we're we're to our uh best not best, our um <laughs> my brain and my mouth aren't connected this week. Sorry guys. <laughs> this is our episode specific section of the awards. And so Sammy, what's your best futuristic thing? All right. Um, best futuristic thing. I love the highways in this movie. Um, the way the cars flow over and around and they they go down. I mean, and it's that mag level type of travel. And I think one of the things I love about really good SF is when a writer or filmmaker takes something that already exists but pushes it to that next level. You know, we've got mag level trains and things like that, but why not mag level highways uh, with all of that? And and those scenes definitely stand out as very distinctive in Minority Report. Uh, Mine's a little bit similar. So I'm going to piggyback a little bit here. Um, Mine is the blend of the few. It's not one specific thing. It's it's the the blend for the whole movie. Because a lot of these future movies, it's all futuristic. It all looks mm-hmm. alien. It all looks weird. And it makes it not feel very believable. But the way that Spielberg and whoever designed this movie, I, I doubt Spielberg was <laughs> there with you know, Hammer and Saul making the sets or whatever. But, um, but the blend of the way there's like futuristic stuff, like the way that Anderton watched his videos. He had those little look like old you know PSP games or whatever he's watching stuff off of. And the way they did the, the pre-crime technology. It was very futuristic, but then like the houses look like houses. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the house out uh, in, in the country just was a house out in the country. Um, the way that you know that they would walk through streets and the everything was very recognizable, but you still had the slightly futuristic stuff that was there, and the way they blended those yeah. things made it a, made it a completely viable world. That mm-hmm. so so many of these you know near future movies just go overboard <coughs> and make it a world you can't accept. Yep. Yep. I don't know how popular mine's going to be <clears throat> because I, I don't think uh, this character has a very uh, loved view, doesn't sound like, but uh, Dr. Iris Hammond's, Hinman's house. All of the, I don't know how futuristic it is, but all of the alive plants. And I guess that she has genetically got them to that point you know, where they're reacting, they're protecting her, they're protecting themselves. They're, <clears throat> you know, just so alien. But, you know, it's like this old, run-down, beat-up house. 
but you know it's just these amazing weird alien futuristic plants and you know that are that are kind of alive and reacting that's that's kind of my favorite thing from the future I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think she was a little scary herself. <laughs> she was, yeah. She was, she was quite a character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the mother of uh, of pre crime. She says. Uh, and I, I don't like I said, Wally was creepy, but I think uh, she about beat him out on creepiness <laughs> for different yeah. ratios. She, yeah. she was giving him a run for his money. <laughs> That's for dang. Oh sure. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jamie, best action scene, my friend. I think I'm going on a. I think I'm swerving here a little bit. Um, the escape through the mall. I ju- I, I love the way Agatha, because it wasn't just him being fast and jumping over things, being able to punch people. It was just the the tension of the all of the other pre crime agents everywhere looking for them, and her you know knowledge of the slight future. You know you know grab the umbrella. Wait wait wait. Then the balloons. The the whole thing. I just I love the escape through the mall. It's just really, it's really clever, and it just really maintains the tension all the way through. I, I agree a hundred percent. That's exactly where I went. Also, um, you know, I, I, I guess the the scene I chose for my best scene with the the fight at the auto plant and stuff could be You're considered kind of an action a little bit. Scene. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, I almost maybe should have flip flopped these two, you know. But you know, all month I've been cheating a little bit, so it's okay. Um, just, I'm, I'm consistent. If nothing else, right? But I just thought that I agree with you that the tension in that chase, um, just as something as simple as the balloon man, you know, as a way to block the view, you know, a very practical effect that, you know, if you've ever been in a mall and lost a small child, anything that's, const- you know, constricts your view can be a problem. Uh, so, I mean, just, just those types of little things like that to elude the pursuers. Like you said, I mean, it easily could have been, you know, crews running at breakneck speed and knocking through people. But the fact that all that timing had to occur and that she was kind of, you know, Agatha was kind of guiding that progress made that scene kind of stand out to me. Yeah. Yeah. uh, We're going three for three on that one. And, you know, like I said, it, you know, don't necessarily you know have all the action beats. You know they're not they're not flying around in the jetpacks. They're not leaping from car to car on the vertical highway. You know he's not breaking into, uh, you know the the pre crime uh, headquarters. But you know the control is taken away from him at that point. He's dependent upon her. The suspense. Stop. Go. Get. Turn. She notices you. This person sees you. That person's having trouble. You know the whole situation of getting through there, it, it, it brings you to the edge of your seat and it does it without all of the flashy booms and whistles and effects that you would expect from a Cruz Spielberg movie, but it's the characterization and it's the acting that does it. So that is exactly three for three. Yeah. I didn't sort of at all. Did I? <laughs> but just, I, we haven't mentioned one of my favorite little moments from that scene yet though i love when they're they're kind of making their way through the crowd and she just stops grabs that lady on the shoulder and goes don't go home he knows and they just yeah. turn and keep moving and that lady is, <laughs> yeah i love that the little moment but i love that yeah yeah all of those little all those little weird quirks that she does you know that's that's what got her to my best performance you know it's all those little odd crazy quirks that she does throughout this movie uh, another great quirky actor 
Sometimes quirky, sometimes straightforward, but always awesome. Keanu Reeves. Seems like he can see the future and picked quite a few great roles. But uh, how does he connect to pre-crime and this world of minority report? Well, I don't know if he can see the future, but I know he'll exist in the future. All of the future. <laughs> All of the future. Um, <laughs> okay, we've talked before about um, people in the movies who go like, hey, I know that guy. Um, there's a bunch of, hey, I know that guy's in this movie. There's one of them on the pre-crime team who was a bad guy or a terrible dude in like a bunch of 80s and 90s movies. Um, he's not the Keanu connection. I wanted it to be him so bad, but it wasn't him. Um, there's also another, hey, I know that guy in this movie, but he's always playing a similar kind of role. He's always sketchy. He always looks like he's not maybe showered recently. He's always doing things that um, probably aren't legal. Um, but in this movie, he plays the wacky doctor. <laughs> He's the guy that had the terrible fridge and did terrible things and spoke in some you know, Scandinavian language to the lady who was probably even sketchier than he was. <laughs> had a terrible cold. But that, but but this movie's "Hey, I Know That Guy" is Peter Stormare. He plays the creepy doctor in this movie. He also starred with Keanu in Constantine, where he played another creepy guy. But he's a double feature. He was also in John Wick Two. Mm. Peter Stormare is this week's Keanu connection. <gasps> Kaboom! I love him. <laughs> Very nice. We've all yeah, seen him in a dozen things. Oh yeah, yeah. he's yeah he's he's in a ton of, and even his voice uh, as as I was going through, he was almost my best performer. It said on he IMDb was, that they were speaking Swedish. That sounded Russian to me. I I, I didn't yeah, connect. It, it didn't sound a, well, <clears throat> well, he, him and the lady are both Swedish nationals. They're both from Sweden. Okay. Um, I, so I, maybe I just heard it wrong. I don't know. It, it, it sounded kind of Russian to me too. Couldn't, couldn't quite place it. But yeah, he was almost my best performance. Was just how weird and creepy he was. And as I was going through his uh, his filmography, I was like, oh wow, he was in. And even the voices. He's in Castlevania. He's in like the Lego movie. He's in all sorts of things. And then when I seen he was in Constantine and John Wick, I said, I can't pick him because I'm just following the Keanu connection. <laughs> But yeah, so Peter Stormare, that's that's wonderful. That's great. I love it. Love it. Love it. I'm glad we were able to connect Keanu. And I'm glad we were able to connect with your listeners um, over this great Spielberg movie. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you uh, continue to listen and enjoy listening. Next week, we've had so much fun. We're going to continue our Spielberg month one more week. Uh, you know, we, we it's kind of rectifying, you know, with the Goonies, we had a story about this movie was will actually be directed by uh, Keanu and as, or not Keanu, but uh, by Spielberg. But as Sam pointed out, we're kind of getting two of Spielberg's biggest tentpole movies. We started off with Jaws and we're wrapping it up with E.T. Um, E.T. has recently been added to the Prime Video Library. If you're a subscriber there, you can catch that for free. If you're a bad parent, uh, like one of my podcasts hosts and didn't have a copy on the shelf, um, you can uh, you know check it out on Amazon Prime with a subscription. But until we review 
E.T., the extraterrestrial. Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to get two fistfuls of Reese's Pieces and go on a magic bicycle ride because we keep it nerdy. 